Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Turn this mic off if I need to clear my throat. Just go like this. Oh. Mm -hmm. Okay. I thought you said remove it. We, yeah, can we move the mic or not? Move your head. What? So I can't move this mic from here? You can move it, but it's just anytime you move it, you're risking it sounding bad. What check, about? check, check. Man, I was not listening to you at all when you were explaining <laughs> to this go. beforehand. I got, I got it. Okay. All right. We should be able to check as we're talking. I could see the green up and down because we're a bit far from the... You can also <laughs> see the, the lines on the computer. Can you? Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Rocking. Wow. We're all pretty... Oh, look. Mine's way hot. That's too loud. No, it's fine. That's better. Is this the original soundboard that we bought? Yeah, this is... Well... The original mic, do you remember the original mic was like this big? There's a USB that plugged into the computer. <laughs> yeah, my brother even gave us. we just sat it on the. On a table like this, and we would talk that's far away. <laughs> and then we got that. this, which shortly after we did, got this, we had Baronard because there's a fourth port. Yep. Wow. That's what we can call this the fourth port. Wow. Fourth port. Very cool. This is the one that we use with, with Baron. Mm -hmm. We used this for years, I believe. Wow. Well, huh. I certainly did. Because I bought you guys little versions of this. Right. right. Which I still have. Yeah. I don't think I have it anymore. Yeah. So here we are in, where are we? Maryville, Illinois. Undisclosed location, mm -hmm. we could say. Um, USA. At our 2022 Three North Hangout. Mm-hmm. Which has been great so far. Yeah. I think so. What have we done that you've enjoyed? I really enjoyed the cathedral this basilica cathedral in st louis and i got up quite a bit earlier than you guys today and i was like i almost want to go there again mm. while they're sleeping and just be back i had i was picturing myself in it again this morning as i was praying it was lovely i've never been there i'm glad we went there on your suggestion i also enjoyed the steak dinner and watching Bebet's feast yeah it was a super day. It was a great day. It was a super duper day. Mm -hmm. And we had, I enjoyed the funeral as well. Oh, yeah. Jerry. Mm -hmm. For the listeners, they, I were at my parish and they con celebrated mass for a funeral for a parishioner yesterday, mm -hmm. which was great. Yeah. It was really great. Yeah. So I think you were the one that spurred this idea. One day you just said, hey, let's do a group hangout. Mm hmm. Let's put this on the calendar. Mm -hmm. That's in our bylaws, though, I think, of what we've established, at least through oral tradition throughout the years, is once a year, once a year hangout. Yeah, we should be in person. Yep. Which we were last year. Right. So this is, we're, we're hanging in, mm -hmm. actually, because we spent a week in Santa Barbara last, That's true. last May. That's, That's almost true. been a year ago. And then the year before that, um, well, I guess we all would have been together. Or did we do another Santa Barbara retreat? No, that was the first time the three of us were out there. That's together. true. Mm -hmm. that's true but we've been pretty consistent with it fairly which we could say the same about the podcast in general mm -hmm. a fair amount of consistency this is man it's just weird being together podcasting again how long has this been six years yeah i don't man, know man dude i was on stl so and i've been a priest for <laughs> it'll be eight years in may so like six to seven years ago probably wow. holy cow 
I the last time I I remember us doing something like this was when we visited you in Blue Island. Yeah. Oh, we did do that, and we had a little cast You're up right. in the rectory. Uh-huh. I think that was right before Deacon ordination. Were we back from the Holy Land? Yeah, maybe. Because I yeah. think we talked about being ordained. Yeah. Yep. 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 For sure. Yeah. Well, this is really fun for the new listeners to just kind of take a trip down memory lane. Mm. <laughs> this is your first time with us. <laughs> yep. This soundboard. Well, it didn't start at all. That's, but I still, it takes me back. I'm flooded with nostalgia mm-hmm. right now. We should probably all sign it. Yeah. I, it's kind of a hunk of junk as I was setting things up and testing it. I do have my doubts as to whether this will work or not. But Should we ditch it? Um, the steak dinner last night was great. That was very good food. And followed up by Babette's Feast was fantastic. Yes. I was still, I was praying this morning with just the, the speech of General Lorenz. Mm-hmm. What did you, that was your first time. Like, was that the most moving part of the movie for you? Well, as I mentioned, after we watched it last night, I was kind of waiting for the shoe to drop for the moving part. Um, and I think I, I had heard enough about it that I think I saw everything coming. Um, the most obvious thing was like the reconciliations among the members as they enjoyed the festivity um, of the meal. They started to kind of like, not even, before they even allowed themselves to really enjoy the meal, they were enjoying some of the fruits of it, which was the ease and fellowship and uh but yeah i think what i what i was praying with this morning that moved me was your comment about i think the book her sitting on the butcher block all pale and sweaty mm-hmm. from all the the work she'd done preparing the meal which there was a scene like that she wasn't as much like exhausted in the movie but she is at the end of the meal kind of like wiping her washing her hands or wiping her brow or something and just the serenity and the generosity of her sacrifice was really moving to me. Um, and in her femininity, you know, it was like, it was a different image of Christ than, than you're, uh, used to. It's not this bloody crucified man. It was this kind of, uh, tired, but happy woman, you know, to have given what she was able to give her art, you know, um, but that it was somehow a participation in the same kind of sacrifice and had the same fruit. And then them around the well at the end saying that the stars are near tonight, that feeling of, um, you know, it's so subjective, but also objective like our podcast. Um, exactly like our podcast, objectifying the subjective, but that the stars are very near and that they, it was an epiphany what they had and that what the general says at the end that all things are possible. Whereas years prior in the sort of, um, in the grayness of it and his worldview that was, um, not to say pessimistic, but at least limited and constrained. He, uh, he thought thing, there's just things, certain things that are impossible. And so he had to make a choice and he chose his career. And coming back to that same place and seeing God there in the in the form of this festive meal, this leisure, and these relationships of love that even though he'd been apart from her for so long, they, he, he realized he'd been with her every night and he would be dining with her every night, even though only spiritually, you know. So there was just a hope and a 
joy in the story and in the movie that everything everything is grace and like god is good and that means that um our attitude can be one of gratitude oh gosh i can't believe i said that did you say that whoa hang on (laughs) i've never heard you say that did you say that in like insincerity well i just was surprised by the rhyme and then i realized that that's that thing that's that thing attitude of gratitude attitude of gratitude i'm grateful for what you just said so i I think i made my point the camera yeah man i hope this works (laughs) (laughs) but those are my thoughts i like that man the whole that notion of the stars are nearer tonight like that a lot i kind of felt that in i don't know you you just kind of i have no other words or kind of stories to for that specific vocab around it, but I know the feeling and I can go to certain evenings when that holds of like the stars are near. Last night was kind of one when we were hanging out on the porch and you were jamming on the guitar with the fire. It's like, wow, this is good. Mm -hmm. This is really good. I felt it walking around the city. I felt it in the the cathedral for sure. Um, I felt that that line, all things are possible. I was struck in the cathedral by the possibilities in the world that like when you see something like that like those mosaics in the ceilings after having you know worked i, I mentioned it to, this to you guys in the car but having worked very modestly for not that long on that chapel but how much attention you could put on something and just being happy with how it turns out something artistic something for the glory of god but then to see what human beings have done in the past yeah. um and i've never been to rome everybody says that you know saint peter's basilica and mm. stuff like you see some of the wonders of human creativity and achievement and you're like, what must heaven be like? You know, that there's just, that's the attitude of gratitude I'm I'm talking about is that like the reality is actually greater than what you perceive to be reality. Yeah. That you're always shooting too low of what actually is given to us and what, what the future holds. Um, and so like Honestly, just driving around without a smartphone yesterday and you just kind of telling me like, I think it's this street and then, you know, finding ourselves in the old cathedral parking lot and then looking up at the arch. And I didn't I didn't plan on seeing the arch that day. And I was honestly in my mind always ready to be disappointed by the arch whenever I finally saw it. Mm. And I was actually like really charmed by it standing that close. Mm. Um, And then we weren't able to get in the trams because the trams had just ended. But it was like, fine, because then we just went and got a steak and. And the the arch, thanks be to God, we can. It's very solid. Yeah, it's we not didn't going anywhere. There. I was pleased with that. <clears throat> it's not hollow. No, that would be a problem. Hmm. It's, it seems to be well made. And that's the three dogs. And that's it. We put can put our stamp of approval mm-hmm. that it probably uh-huh. won't fall over. Yeah, it's, yeah. As amazing as that is, because it's pretty tall and thin. It's huge. It's very tall. Mm-hmm. It's very tall. Mm. It's absolutely Jaimunga. Yeah, and it is. I had whoever thought of that idea. Like, good for you, man. <laughs> How did that come into your mind? The gateway to the West. Mm-hmm. Just a big arch. Jaimungo arch. Well, all the weird modern um, little like show off things, like the Eiffel Tower, the Ferris wheel, and the arch. Like, are there any others? Empire State Building is kind of one. Hmm. Wasn't that around that era? Well, it's more like the 20s, I think. 
I don't know. We could look yeah, at the uh, chronology cards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. But there's something kind of unnecessary about those three things, the Ferris wheel, the Eiffel Tower, and, right. the, and the St. Louis Arch. It's just kind of like architectural wonders for the sake of architectural wonders. It wasn't mm. a basilica or a tomb like the pyramids. Yeah. Right. You know, one of the things, and this is to get to the Babette's Feast, and I, I think it's uh, around the similar idea that things are always greater than we can initially perceive, which means that when we perceive something that really truly is great, like it does bring that even greater realization that like, oh my gosh, then, then if this is so amazing, then heaven must be just truly unbelievable. But the thing that always moved me about Babette's feast and particularly the character of Babette is she is, she embodies that in a lot of ways that she is tremendous for the people of the town and the people of the village they love her Mm -hmm. and she changes like she changes the village she changes the sisters but they have no clue how great she is yeah but the whole movie she's she's the stately dignified beautiful holy happy woman and all they see is the fruit of it and, and then yeah, like you ever get since at, Babette got here, we have more money. We have more money. People mm. are happier. People are the eating old people better. people that they care for are at, getting better food. Yeah. Like they're, they're praising God. They're thanking God for Babette because of all the things that, well, because she has just made life sweeter for them, mm-hmm. like literally, but also figuratively. But then I think the thing that always moves me so much is at the end is the sister sees who she is and but then also sees that babette also gave all of that up for them and so it's like both the realization of her greatness and her beauty that you see it in the sister sees it like oh my gosh we've had this unbelievable woman with us the whole time Mm -hmm. and we stuck her in this back room and she serves us dinner and we don't even know what we have and she gave it all away for us and so it's like a double a double whammy realization there. And I guess it's That's the sister who is also an artist. Who's the singer? The singer. Yeah. Yep. And she I think she refers to Babette as an artist in that and, scene. And mm-hmm. she says the same lines that Pepin said uh, to her. Yep. Yep. That Pepin said to her that in reference to cooking mm-hmm. when when he was talking about singing, but that the angels you would you would enchant the angels with your cooking and That's which even right. the, the moment food. it's interesting that they end on that because it's a very similar it's the it's the same thing that the general articulates because that sister chose not to give her gift away mm-hmm. and so in that moment though it was like still all things are possible because she can give that to Babette in the moment mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. Just that whole image of of the meal. I mean, it always sticks with me every time I see see the movie. But I like that line or that notion. Like, what what, what must heaven be like? And I don't know. I mean, something like that. The stars are certainly nearer. Um, I don't know how you. I actually felt it yesterday. Just praying my holy hour in your church, and uh, then the funeral and everything. Um, I mean, the story of Jerry that he got the last rites and then died basically seconds later. Mm-hmm. 
those sort of things just make you, how can you not think of heaven and what comes next? And hearing his daughter give that obituary on the things he enjoyed in this life. Um, I felt very appreciative of the things in their simplicity, like hunting and his barbershop chorus and his kids and grandkids and the Knights of Columbus and this town. And, you know, I don't know much about it except through you. I, you know. Yeah, he got married in the church 72 years before he was buried in it. Wow. And did they say he was the first wedding there? Mm -hmm. Wow. That's so cool. Um, And all of that is, it all of that is good. And it's, uh, it's awesome that it happened, but in a way it's just a shadow like in that context, and your homily said this well, I think it was not just a celebration of life, but um, a calling down of God's mercy on Jerry in this moment to welcome him into the kingdom. Um, and sometimes I, I've felt, I've done funerals where it was not, it didn't feel that open to transcendent. It didn't feel like the stars were that close, that it was just kind of, yeah, she liked to cook and her kids and you know, he was a, always a little league coach or, you know, but there's not, it wasn't like those things were a, a means to like, you, you enjoyed them for the sake of this other good, mm. you know, which was their source and goal. It was more like we got, we, ne- we're, we weren't creative enough or imaginative enough to see how that was connected, but just, and, and again, I don't know the guy, I never even met him, but you know, his funny t-shirts and the fact that he was faithful at mass and talked to you and, um, like there, there was a, a coming together of his particular quirky humanity with the fact that, yeah, in the end, uh, what he, what's most essential about this guy is not his t-shirts is, uh, but that he's a soul loved by Christ and he believes in him and will go with him when he gets called, you know, there's almost like an alacrity of his spirit that in the moment he received the mercy of the sacraments, all right, now it's time to go. Like I can mm-hmm. just leave it all as much as I loved this place. I'm ready to go. Um, and that's what it felt like in Babette's feast. They are so concerned. Like, we're not going to say anything about the meal because enjoying life is dangerous. It can lead you astray. Mm. You can become an addict to the things of the world and you can, you know, commit adultery and all the things that they were arguing about. It was like such a tight grip on their lives and on their spiritual, like, holiness that it was just in a, in a relaxing and an enjoyment, which of course is riskier. Like you can become obsessed and idolatrous mm-hmm. with the created goods. Um, and I found myself even as the, as the kind of mousy one tasted the water and she's like, yeah, no. And then she just like takes a big chug of wine. Like that could be the kind of thing where it's like, I've never even allowed myself to enjoy this. And now I just, you know, um, but in the context of, the whole meal, it was social, it was not selfish, it wasn't um, idolatrous, it was festive in the best sense. So uh, in that loosening and that, that like, t- you know, you don't have such a tight grip on your soul, like you're trying to manage it yourself, you can just allow yourself to be mm. open to the transcendence. And then when it's over, it's just over, you know, like the, nobody wanted to stay at the meal forever. Because mm-hmm. we just got to keep eating. Like this, this food was so good, we just got to keep eating it because it's what we're made for. They realize like it signaled to them a higher good, and they get out there and they start singing and looking up at the sky. That to me, that's so beautiful. That's humanity. What God made us for was to enjoy Him.
Yeah, and the general, I think he says as much when he's talking about the, at the time in the movie, the hidden chef of Café Anglais. And he says that she could turn a um, a regular meal into a, a love encounter. affair. Yeah, like a love affair. Mm-hmm. And you can see everybody gets really uncomfortable. Yeah, they get really uncomfortable. And they're like, oh my gosh, what is this guy talking about? That's exactly what we're worried about. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. That's exactly the problem. But then they they actually enter into it kind of un- unbeknownst to themselves mm-hmm. in spite of themselves. Like they would choose, they would rather not do that. Hmm. And and then in entering into that, it, it does, it, it liberates them. There's a, there's a massive freedom that occurs. Um, yeah. And I know we've talked about it before to some extent, but um, I think you use the phrase, just let the day die. Mm-hmm. And that tendency to want to come back for more, like even I noticed when they were cleaning up the table, um, like if I was cleaning up the table after a great meal like that, I would look for little scraps and be mm-hmm. like, "Ooh, just a little bit more of this, mm-hmm. you know, just a little bit more of this tasty food and uh, to kind of stay, stay there or to get more, to get more of it. But to have that freedom and Rob, I think you actually do a really good job of this, but just naturally like, oh, that was great. Now I can move on kind of a thing and just kind of like letting that go and not needing to come back for more like mm-hmm. that. Um, there's a great freedom in that. There's, and I, I know that I, that's something that I, I'm not good at. Like coffee's good. So I'm going to get some more coffee mm-hmm. and then some more coffee, you know, and it can manifest itself in all these different ways. But um, yeah, that, that move from this is not the end in and of itself but there's actually something more that they move out out of the room into the open space and into the heavens mm. to see that is and even the fact that it's December 15th and it's not snow they comment a couple times about it's probably going to snow tomorrow or, and then somebody at the end says it might not snow this whole winter yeah it made me think of narnia and the uh, the witch's spell mm. the eternal winter mm. like there's a almost a springness to the dying of the year mm. um I don't know if that's intentional. Yeah. How am I good at what you were talking about? Um, I mean, th- since the years of knowing you, I just think that you, um, I have to be very intentional about choosing when to start something and to stop something. Because if not, then I'll get caught up in the thing itself. And it seems like that's something that you just do really organically and really well. Hmm. Is it enjoying the thing in front of you? And then we can just move on. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-mm, mm-mm. And you also share it, like your steak last night. Like, oh, I'm done eating the steak, but I would like to share some of it with you guys. Or the fact that you have all this nice whiskey and it's not all drunk. That's, <laughs> that's there, ready that it's, to share. That mm. it's there. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's yeah. You're good at that. Yeah, you, you're you're great. And I would, I know the right thing to do, and I can choose to do it. But it doesn't. It has to be a choice. Mm. And it always seems like for you, it's like. And maybe you're just really good at putting putting on airs or whatever, but I get it honest. I'm thinking of a story. I don't know if I've told you guys this before, but uh, this is three or four years ago. And we found a couple bottles of uh, Weller's bourbon. You guys ever had Weller's? Mm-mm. It's good. It's a, it's like a, I think it's a wheat bourbon. It's made by the same distillery, makes Buffalo Trace. And it's not as hard to find as like the top tier kind of rare bourbons, but it's like if you find a bottle, definitely buy it. And we found a couple bottles. And so like I bought one and then my mom bought one for my dad. 
And I still remember when we got home, my dad was still working and he got home and he was pumped that we had gotten him a bottle. And I had like already like put mine with my stuff to, to come back to, to Maryville and was like planning. I mean, this was in the spring and I was like planning on saving it for like Christmas. So I knew like where I was going to hide it pretty much. And immediately, like without thinking about it, my dad just opened it and poured two big glasses. And I was like, and I said, I was like, man, are you sure you don't want to like save it or, you know, something? He was like, he was just like legitimate was, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> like, why wouldn't we enjoy this right, right now? Because yeah. it's here in front of us. It was a good lesson for me. There's something to be said for both things i think the self-control and also the you know one of the things i was thinking as the movie was progressing and the meal was progressing in the movie the bottles back there that at one point she goes just leave the bottle out there with them um like why why hang on to this stuff mm. there, there can be a certain excess i was also worried like oh is the carriage driver gonna like drink all the nice champagne mm. and it's not gonna be you know but she uh, there was a moment where I realized like, oh, she's enjoying that he's enjoying this. It's not like he's secretly sneaking drinks and food, but she makes him like a one of the little quails. And and every time she he says, it's good. She's like, yeah, it is. Um, that there's no fear in her that there's not going to be enough. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it was a certain I'd like your guys' thoughts. And this I don't have much like formulated on it. But there's also there's like a certain hierarchy that's required for the movie to be as beautiful as it is. Like even the culture of Babette, but like they needed the general mm-hmm. in the meal to be able to communicate it mm-hmm. like both to the people, but then for the person watching it as well. Mm. Um, and I don't know, there was just something like even in it, too, of like the fact that there was a couple people back there in the kitchen with her that like weren't even at the table, but still got to join in the meal. Yeah. Um, so I've thought about that of like, I don't know. Um, I, I think that's something that we don't talk about very much at all because we don't know how to like really articulate it in today's language. Maybe that isn't without fear of being offensive of like, no, there is like a hierarchy in the governance of the church mm-hmm. that will be, I think, flipped on its head in heaven in a lot of ways like i like i've told people i tell the newman students this a lot that my my favorite description of the priesthood i think it was a father mike schmidt's thing but my favorite description of the priesthood is god's garbage men Hmm. and he he talks about it in a talk he gave on confession and he's like that's how you think of a priest is like that's just blue collar god's garbage men Mm -hmm. that you like you know take the garbage to and he'll he'll take care of it Mm -hmm. then and I was so it's like the structure of the church is hierarchical. I mean, even even still today, like the governance of the church is through like the bishops and like his his priests. And I think we, you know, there's ways that are very much Holy Spirit um, driven to like provide like collaboration and just bringing in different gifts and and all of that, but that's at least my understanding of like the governance is still based on the episcopacy, you know, throughout the, throughout the world. And, but there is a sense of like that, that could have without a doubt a feeling 
of this like superiority, even though it's not intended to, but then like in, in heaven, that will somehow be, be flipped of like, no, that's just God's garbage man there. Does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of think of it the opposite though. I think the garbage men are going to be wearing crowns in heaven. It's, it's not so much that like, oh, it's revealed that we, we enjoyed Ruth's Chris here, but we're actually blue collar up there. It's that all of us are, are all of us are lifted up and the hierarchy does not push anyone down. That's why I think it's so. That's why I think it's so hard to like talk about and articulate. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Yeah. I think we're saying very similar things, right? Yeah, I had a thought. One was a joke that I think I heard years ago, uh, that a waitress asked if these guys at a table were priests, and they said, "Yeah, how did you know?" And she said. Um, because priests always, uh, have the most expensive meals, but wear the cheapest clothes. (laughs) (laughs) Which was us last night. That was us last night. Oh man. Yeah. I was wearing a, my forest service hoodie that I literally slept in the night before (laughs) (laughs) at a steakhouse. (laughs) Um, but yeah, no, the, the hierarchy, I mean, the general's role in that, it made me think of, as we were talking about last night and as you're talking today, that the need for this person to lead them in the enjoyment of the meal. And even the fact that he's the only one that's not wearing black at this mm-hmm. birthday party, he's wearing these colorful, his, his military uniform with his feathered cap as he comes in on a horse and carriage. Um, I thought of the priesthood that way, that we are both like the hosts of the meal in, in a sense, like in persona, Christ, in a persona Christi Capitis, like we are standing in for Christ, the head of the church, the shepherd, the one who gives his body as the, as the feast. But we also participate in it. We receive it, you know, mm-hmm. um, and therefore show like even his, the way he eats the bird, he starts with the little head mm-hmm. and stuff. You know, um, I've been in situations where I'm like, I don't know how to eat this. I, mean, I, I would like you to, or even ordering at a place, like, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're somebody's guest and they're like, come on, you order first. And you're like, show me yeah. like what's acceptable yeah. to order. How and, do I pronounce this? Yeah. Uh, so the fact that he's there and he doesn't kind of um, let the really dour energy of these people's communal commitment to not enjoy this meal, get him down. He just enjoys it, you know, and he shows them how. Mm. in an unselfconscious way he doesn't like say oh i've been to a restaurant that has this fancy you know and make you feel like you're an uncultured swine um but unselfconsciously enjoys it and therefore it gives everybody else permission to enjoy it um it's harder with the mass uh which all of this is of course an image of and the mass of course itself is an image of of heaven communion with the trinity um but we've been doing this little liturgical tidbits thing at the end of mass. We've, mm-hmm. Our whole thematic goal of the year is liturgical excellence and helping people make, make our liturgies really beautiful, but also helping people understand, appreciate, and participate in them. And one of the things is it's really hard to get people to do the responses. And some of it is maybe you just don't know them, you know, or you don't know, no one's given you permission to like actually try this and say it. Um, so going through at the end of mass, just doing like a one and a half, two minute explanation of like the Lord be with you and with your spirit or the 
the gesture I done on Sunday, the gesture for the gospel and what it means and how to do it. Um, because sometimes I think people just need a docent to show them, um, this is how you enjoy this. And trust me that when you start to do it a little bit more actively and you give yourself permission to do it, you will find yourself carried away by it. Um, but that's, that to me is a very, a beautiful image of the priesthood. It's not simply like, the, I, I get what you mean by the garbage man thing. I don't like that because it's, it's sort of, it feels disenchanting to me um, that we're just garbage men. I think that's why I say it's, it's reverse of that. The garbage men are actually princes. You know, it's not that the princes are actually just garbage men. Do you know what I mean? I think so. Um, yeah. That, that the reality is actually more transfigured than it. It's, it's, there's a humility to it and there's a, ordinariness and a humanity to what we do and that that is true but in the measure that it's more human and more real it's actually more transcendent you know it's more heavenly um and which can be also humiliating like the the general is very humbled at the end of the meal even though he is the stately one who's kind of given this given this thing its flavor he takes his dour little aunt in the carriage and drives away mm. and he's an old washed up general you know that kind of wasted his life on pointless honorifics mm. and he should have he should have stayed with this lovely woman but he realizes that all is grace and that everything's possible and reality is actually the truth is actually more wonderful than what is apparently true mm. anyway that's how I see it. In this amazing world of ours, mm-hmm. all things are possible. Um, yeah, I do agree with the the symbolism of the general as being a, a docent, like a the priestly figure that teaches, but then also in participating in the feast, invites other people to enjoy and delight in the feast as well. Like that's really what he does. Uh, he's not just a sideline teacher, but he's he's a, a player with them. He's, he's in, in the group. Um, yeah. But then he also leads them up in the horizontal, in the vertical way. So he brings everybody in together, um, which is, yeah, that's the, the kind of, the priest is with the people type situation. And he really truly is there among, among them, but then he also elevates them, uh, not to the exclusion of them, but, in the inclusion of them so that they can actually dine and enjoy the things with them. Um, so I definitely agree with that. Uh, I, I'd ask this for the looking at the movie and the meal through that lens, the, the kind of hierarchical lens, how would you see the sisters? Mm. What role would you kind of have the sisters play there? Cause uh-huh. I, I noticed that they're at the heads of the table Yeah, and they're also the ones they're the community leaders there, um, you know, and, and they do have an important part to play. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I don't know. How, how would you see them? Cause I haven't thought about that. I don't know either. And that that's cool because the, even like them being at the head of the table is important. And like also the reverence shown by like, even by the general to them mm-hmm. and their mm-hmm. like holiness of life and their mm-hmm. sacrifice. And um, like he mentions at the beginning of the meal that, their father's writings are like some of the favorites of the queen Uh that he, so he's like had this opportunity to meet the queen apparently because he's this great general, but like 
their father's writings are like influential to the queen. And so he's he's like he's extremely reverential to right. to them, right. not just because he was in has been in love with the one. So I don't know. I don't know where you would put them. Well, maybe, and this would be to the the back to the cathedral. Maybe they they play the role of the virgins as mm. these these consecrated women to Christ to God. That it's amazing because when you look at each of the figure, they're all essential. Yeah, everybody's essential. Oh yeah. Without the sisters, that doesn't happen. Without the general, it doesn't happen. Right. So I think maybe, and this is helping me in what maybe what I was getting at, but like maybe maybe instead of hierarchy, like just order in general yes. is required. Mm-hmm. That's probably a better way to say it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which order is hierarchical to your point, and but it's not. Um, it doesn't squish anybody. It's there's the. Like exactly. Going, it's not a it's not like a suppression. Yeah. If it's if it's correctly ordered. Yes, it lifts everyone up. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that's what it even maybe even to the the notion of like God's garbage men of like I don't that's not like derogatory in any right. way. Like yeah. that's a like right. that's an honorific thing. That's right. how I'm trying to say it. Right. Right, which is the it, Yeah. I mean that's a big thing that Peterson talks about is that he doesn't defend the hierarchies. He simply states that they are essential in nature. Mm-hmm. They exist in in almost every form of of categorizing things. They're always going to fa- fall into some sort of an ordered hierarchical process. Mm-hmm. It's just the way that that the world unfolds itself in the animal kingdom, mammalian kingdom, and human Society. order. Yeah, and ev- the way that everything's are structured. Mm-hmm. Even Protestant churches will have some sort of a hierarchical structure. I mean, even their little community has some hierarchical structure, mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's oppressive or that it's a power structure. That's kind of like that Marxist idea that all hierarchies are in some way formulated for the oppression of other people mm-hmm. for the most powerful. Mm. But then maybe we could say something like that's what Christ reveals is like a hierarchy of love. There, there's a hierarchy of grace, which is in the order of grace. It's the reverse. That's always how I how I heard it with the church was that it's not a a pyramid. It's an upside down pyramid, which means that the highest are actually the lowest that they can serve and support everybody else. Mm. And so then the priesthood is really meant to give your life away for the good of everybody else. Right. And I think that's more like that's still hierarchical but it's in service of the sacrifice of love for everybody else. Yeah. I think it's hierarchical. Like the body is hierarchical and every, you know, it's not the, the, in other words, it's not a separation. There's order lifts everybody up because it's alive. An organism is ordered in the measure that it's a living thing. Um, but a club or a, you know, a set, a collection of, of like things isn't alive. It's just there. It's just this dead static thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as something is alive, there's a foot, there's a hand, there's a head, there's a stomach that, you know, it has parts that work in concert together. Um, and so, yeah, the church is hierarchical, but that like to your point about what Peterson says, that's just a statement. That's just a descriptive fact. It's not prescriptive at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and to challenge that is to just 
fight nature and you can't do it. You'll always lose, you know, anarchy or whatever. Um, the fact that reality is broken and, and disordered and, and there is injustice and oppression in the world, that's also descriptive. Yeah. Um, so it's not that hierarchies caused uh, oppression. It's that hierarchies exist and oppression exists. And yeah. so, and, and people can take advantage of hierarchical structures of course. to use their positions of power. And that's, of course, not good. But I, I think more the, the reality that we're getting at is the not just the hierarchical, but the, I want to say, spousal. You know, that the church is both the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. And in the liturgy, you see both things happening simultaneously. That the, the, the priest stands in the person of Christ ahead of the body, the persona capitis, but there's also the bridegroom and the church is the bride. And that's the call responses and, mm -hmm. and stuff. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Um, that there's, there's this distinction without separation going on. Mm. That, that in becoming one flesh in his humanity, um, the marriage of God and man in Christ, in the banquet, in the Eucharist, especially our reception of the Eucharist and becoming one flesh with God, there's this epiphany. And that's that's what's miraculous about Babette's feast and leisure in general in the peeper sense, that uh, when we are truly worshiping, it's God doing this, is accomplishing something in us, this ordering or reordering or restoring a proper relationship with him and then with each other. And that's where that reconciliation and stuff just starts bubbling up um, almost naturally is that, yeah, without the aid of grace, we cannot create this festivity. We're like Aaron and the gold rings melted down to a calf and having this revelry at the bottom of the mountain. We're just like stuck in this mm -hmm. pleasure circle that re results in violence and oppression and hurting each other um, because there's not enough. And so I'm, I've got to drink all the wine and eat the leftovers and keep, you know, um, steal what you have to, to make it mine. But there's this abundance in the sharing and it's Babette's sacrifice, you know, but it's Christ in her doing this, accomplishing mm. this thing that now they're able to just like uh, relax and receive, you know, and there is an orderedness to the table and the fact that they're, they're there in their places and stuff. They're disposed to receive reality and its goodness. Um, but that's not something we can ever accomplish. We can't just like, that's why I think we resent certain forms of liturgical nonsense where let, let's mm. just hold hands and pretend like everybody's getting along Yeah. rather than let's plug into transcendence and reverence for the mystery. Yeah. Which actually allows like, that's the thing. If you call that proper order, then like, that's also the thing that a fruit of it can be like spontaneous and authentic worship. Yeah. Which is interesting. It's not a detail that they give you in the movie, but it's in the it's in the book of Babette's Feast, where like the general comments to some effect later that the speech that he gives, he doesn't know where it comes from. Like it wasn't something he had like formulated. Yeah. He was just able to the spirit spoke through him. Like he just stood up and and spoke. And it is interesting. I mean, that's where like it's all contingent on freedom. I mean, either whatever whatever you're talking about in in that, I mean, back to that story of, um, like my dad and the bottle of Weller's whiskey, and I think why it stuck out to me at the time is because I, my brain like lends itself to, and I know this sounds weird, but like, I mean, I'll, I'll think so far in advance sometimes in an ordering of like if I score like a really good bottle of whiskey as a surprise, it, I mean, it's March, and it would not be weird for me to say like 
this is perfect. Like I can take this to Christmas and I'll mm -hmm. put it back. And like, yeah, I mean, but there's also there can fall into like a lack of freedom in that mm. as well. But your house is very ordered and there are little surprise cool things like little helicopters and cabinets. And <laughs> That's true. Mario Kart. And There's that truck over there. I, I benefited from your saving things and and keeping like, <laughs> yeah, because you're not you're also not guarded with it. Like I remember in seminary, you just being like, yeah, it's an afternoon. Let's uh, let's have a whiskey. Let's have a bourbon like you break out. You have the little ball of big ball of ice in your oh, freezer. Man. And, I forgot about that. Um, like I just wouldn't have that around. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I I'm sure there is lack of freedom, but the, our I think our lack of freedom is more that if one is good more is better yeah. yeah so i have to i'm much more conscious of guarding myself from enjoying things at right. all because i will like why i have a dumb phone because i'll just yeah it's great having this high-powered device in my pocket all the time but it's also just i won't do anything else right unless i'm forced to mm. yeah yeah which is really great that's why it's perfect that you host because it's like <laughs> I mean, selfishly, like we get to show up and just enjoy all of this planning and order yeah. that that you facilitate super duper well. Uh, and it is, it, I mean, it's very, it's very familial as well. That would, the meal is very familial, that that hierarchy is very familial. Mm -hmm. And I think in the order of grace and in the order of love that. And what could be more hier hierarchical than the family? Right. Sure. Right. And and yet again, it's like there is, it's just even the dog it, is happy to have his place though. Like I remember, our, it just is that way. Yeah, that that it's just describing the way that families exist, mm -hmm. and and all of them are essential. Yeah. It's like if one person of the family wasn't there, it would not be the same. Right. Yeah. We need everybody here, and everybody has a part to play. One one hundred percent, a necessary part to play. Yeah, that reminds me, this could, I don't know if this will be a, like a tangent, but something that you said several years ago that has always stuck with me, Bisk, was uh, the, maybe it was around that, like all the studies that, that came out of like how few people, even in the pews, believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist or just about like mass attendance in general, something along those lines. And you said something to the effect of like, like, the tragedy here is not like the institutional change that this will like probably make necessary of like, what does this look like? And, and not doom and gloom, but like, man, 30 years from now, it's going to look way different if no one's going to mass who's under 40, you know, of all of that. But your point is very simple, but the tragedy there was not that, but simply that those people weren't in the pews. Because like it, it, the the familial thing, it's yeah. it's not okay if they're not there, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the we look at through it through this uh, vampirism lens, like oh man, we're gonna miss all these constituents and customers mm -hmm. to get our, their tithe or their attention or their membership to rationalize our existence. But rather, the church exists precisely to give this gift. We are babette, and they're not at the feast because they're like, yeah, it's not that good. Yeah. Um, and to your point, everyone at that table had to be there for the feast to be what it was. Yeah. And it's, I think it's also another, that's a lens. And you told a story one time about 
your gratitude and in, in meeting one person in particular um, that it, it's a lens to understand the Jesus goes after the one and leaves the 99. Mm. It's like, no, we, we need you here. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not that uh, there's not like some big pastoral plan that we're, we're looking forward to that we like need any to keep, new person is will do just as much yeah, as any other new person. We need to keep mm-hmm. our constituents and, and our customers around. Mm-hmm. No, it's like, no, you, I, I miss you. Yeah. And we need you here that the family is not the same without you. Um, and I think people can tell when they're being marketed to versus being invited into a family. Mm. Yeah. You know, do you, do you remember the story that I'm talking about? No, no. You, I was wondering. Um, yeah, because I'm trying to leave the person anonymous. I think they're actually a listener. But they were with you for maybe a semester. And then... Yeah, I know. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, yeah, had to move and um, yeah, move with family. And I think you said like it was all worth it just to... Yeah. I, I You said I... Um, if I hadn't have been here, then I wouldn't have known this person. Mm-hmm. And that's just not okay. That's just not acceptable. Yeah, that's what... Uh, like, I just can't not know The person, person, if they listen, I do think we need to veil it. But I, the person, if they listen, may pick up on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they know they're very loved. I, I thought that's so beautiful. That's like the, but the 99. Point that, the point that I made was... That was what that was like an effective movement that when that was the first time I was able to say that um, COVID was worth it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And it like had this sense of fit and order uh-huh. of um, and it's not like happiness about how like horrible like it was or anything like that. But it was this notion of like, had that not happened, had it not happened exactly how it happened, I wouldn't have known this person. And I'm not okay with that. Yeah. Hmm. That's family stuff. Yeah. That that that's what that is. That's family stuff. And and another thing to the to the dinner point and the spontaneity of it. Um, and I think that this is what you were talking about with some of the like liturgical resentment towards aiming at the fruit of good liturgy, aiming at the fruit of an encounter with God rather than aiming at God itself. It's like you're not looking at the right thing. You're not plugged into the right thing. So anytime that we talk about, uh, well, we want to have reconciliation and harmony and justice and inclusivity, like those are all fine things. But if that's your if that's your aim, that's not enough. Right. That that's still not God. And so as good as those things are, it's less than the highest, greatest good who's who's right. the person of Jesus Christ. And so ironically, not that you don't focus on those things, but if you plug into the greatest good, then he will take care of all of the rest of those things. Mm-hmm. But if you aim at even minor lesser goods, and this is like Baron talks about this again, that's a hierarchy of goods. Mm-hmm. These are not bad things. It's just not Jesus. And so if you plug into Jesus, he'll take care of all the rest, which is exactly what happens at the meal. Mm-hmm. But then when we say, no, everybody hold hands now. And, um, you know, all these other silly, goofy things that we do. Yeah, imagine if the sisters had just been like, 
All right, now we're all arguing, but everybody just hold hands. And... They try that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They try it earlier. Let's right. sing a song. Everybody hold hands. And yeah. they're like, no, nah, screw this. Right. They're, they're exactly. arguing. Screw you, they're man. during the song. They're yeah. They can't even sing. That's yeah. really true. But you know what I think is, and this may be easily misunderstood, but the radical thing about that movie and the general speech in particular is that, Yes, it is. It is an either or. Either you aim at God and get the benefits of aiming at God, or you aim at something other than God and you don't even get the thing you're aiming at. Is what you just said. Yeah. But uh, what he's also saying is that you'll also get God, like either way, because <laughs> he will insist on giving himself to you. Yeah. And that's what's radical about Christianity and why some of these more simplistic, like, um, ways of looking at that mystery. Uh, miss the mark and are unnecessarily reductive. But the, um, well, I, I had one last, yeah, one last part of that thought. Um, yeah, I was talking to Katie Dornboss, who was a, a listener, and she was talking about something she was praying with with the Ten Commandments and how she read, You shall have no false gods as like future tense rather than simply imperative tense, which in actually in Spanish it is. Hmm. Uh, the Ten Commandments are like, no mataras, you will not kill. Uh-huh. Um, it, it She read it like as a form of a promise that God is saying, I won't let you. Mm. Have. And and you can almost like I, mm. as I look at that that uh, movie and those, these old fogies, you know, like remembering this pastor and this kind of crusty old sepia tone photograph that they're bowing to as they walk out or like raising their little port glasses to, you know, they're they're like ready to let go of the past, even though they're kind of stuck in it and their oldness and there's a new youth to them in that moment where they're, they're ready to let go. Like God has just helped them let go of things that aren't him that they've loved for his sake, you know, and have led them to him and having this encounter. But ultimately like he's just going to take them away, but for our good, you know, until at, at some point in our lives, like we have no choice, but to just, ask for him and he will give himself to us. So that's to me the hope at the end of the movie is not so much like either do this or you don't get it. It's more like he's coming for you and he's going to make a total sacrifice of himself so that you will have joy. Let go and let God. In other words. Right. Yeah. That's great. (laughs) Attitude is gratitude. So here's the, (laughs) did I do that? (laughs) Um, this is so that was a reference to family matters, which you said family stuff, and I thought family matters, and then I thought Steve Urkel. Wow, <laughs> can I do that? Oh man, <laughs> this is the speech from the the book. This is the Baron's book on the Eucharist that we're like in the book club um, tonight. But the so the general says, in our human foolishness and short sightedness, we imagine that grace is finite, but the moment comes when our eyes are opened and we realize that grace is infinite. Grace, my friends, demands nothing of us, but that we shall await it with confidence and acknowledge it in gratitude. Grace takes us all to its bosom and proclaims general amnesty. Amen. It's good. But it's like why that's such a masterpiece of writing and even the film is, and I don't know how to explain this besides showing someone the movie, Mm -hmm. but he's not saying that your actions don't matter. No, yeah, you're right. That's the only, and like, that's... That's why I say it was easy, easy to misunderstand. Exactly, it is, right. 
because like I besides just saying both things and like letting the tension sit mm-hmm. there is it's not saying that actions don't matter. Right. But it is saying that or that you're going to go to heaven no matter what. Yeah. Or anything like that. Yeah. It, it must be chosen in freedom and God will insist that we're free. He won't make us receive it. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But that we are, that we even freely receive it has to be itself a gift and he's promised he'll give it. Right. That's the thing. Yeah. And, and I think that's why, um, that's why that, that movie and that book is not propaganda. Yeah. You have, it's not propaganda that you ha- it's a work of art and yeah. you have to actually experience it to understand well, to experience it, uh, which it has other messages, but it's not like subliminal messaging or anything like that. It's and the a, same can be said about almost every part of the St. Louis Basilica, except certain parts. Except for certain <laughs> parts, which I'll remain unnamed. Yeah, we'll let, let that. Um, yeah, and it's it, but I think it does have to. You just have to sit in the tension of it, and it's not something that you can just explain. But it does have to be experienced. That's why you just have to watch it or read, just read it. Mm. Would you guys agree with this? Somebody, and I'm going to, I don't have the exact line, but somebody told me recently about their, their spiritual director. Like one of his big things is, um, and he's walked with some people through like really, really heavy stuff, like bad things happening. But he said, there's this moment that can come with this. Um, I don't know what you call it. If it's like that if it's just your eyes being opened to the receptivity of grace or whatever it is. But uh, he says like, when you say it's, it's better that it happened. Like even with like hurts and wounds and um, that's kind of the grace of the story of like, yeah, I would go through everything. I say that like, that was what was interesting about that story that you brought up was that it was so authentically from my heart in that moment of prayer of like, man, this last year has been like miserable in so many ways and like have all this transition and hard moments and all of that and easy answer. It was worth it to know this one like person, yeah. like it's better that it happened this way. Hmm. I think it's pretty good guys. We're almost an hour. <laughs> no, he asked the question. Oh, you asked the question? Yeah. <laughs> what would you ask? I thought oh, you were just okay. saying it was better that it happened. No, I didn't know what you thought of that. Yeah. Well, it, oh. yeah, it, it made me think of something that you said last night. Um, is that there are certain moments when you look back and, and essentially you see sufferings that have that have been encountered, but then also the grace of Christ has been victorious in it. And those are the crosses that you're actually like, oh my gosh, thanks be to God that I had this opportunity, not just of growth, that's not the right way to put it, but to encounter the victory of Christ and his freedom and to actually live into it now. And I, that's the same moment as like, oh, I'm actually glad that that cross happened. I'm, I'm glad that I was able to actually go through that. Um, and it does seem like, yeah, I don't know what the exact experience is, the eye-opening Maybe it's epiphany. Maybe it's a that subjective epiphany that you can see like, oh, God's grace is at work here. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, my my mind's so analytical that I I think, well, could this have been brought about by some other thing? Like, mm-hmm. or like I have no regrets because all the mistakes I made led me to this point I'm at today, and this is. But um, you know, in the in the big calculation of every possibility and eventuality, you know, every little micro decision, every little micro circumstance, everybody else's decisions, like all the little forces that create the weather of our lives. Who knows why things happen the way they happen? You meet a person because of this or that circumstance. I I think you can hold both that I wish evil were not present, and yet I can also say confidently that whatever evil is allowed in God's permissive will is always for some greater good to come about. And it's in assenting to that and saying yes to it out of love and, and trust that the uh, the good will come of it. You know, like in Babette's story, it's whatever led her to be in this mm-hmm. dumpy little coast town. She accepted it out of love and she she learned in a way like how they cook that ale bread and this gross stuff. And, you know, like she she debases herself and humiliates herself to become these women's servant and therefore gains their trust and then they're able to receive this feast. And so you know, all all of it's for the good to come about. Um, yeah, but, and I would say like, I would say that you could have regrets and say like, I'm grateful that it happened this way. I would agree. Oh, yeah. for sure. And I think that's kind of the, the general's point is, man, I dropped the ball and... I got it. I got it anyways. Yeah. I mean, that's, and God's got it. If you summed up his, his epiphany is that he wasted his whole life and God gave him what he wanted anyway. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 100%. And and so it's like, I, I don't like the phrase that people will say. It's like, well, I'm grateful for every moment and I have no regrets because it led me to this moment. Yeah. I always balk at that. I think like, no, how can you not have regrets? Yeah, Yeah. Like I've, that's not true. That's very, it's very inhuman. Yeah. 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 Very inhuman. That's not. And I get what they're saying. They're, they're trying to kind of give an answer to this tension. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it's necessary to answer it that simplistically. Right. That, and that's what grace does. Grace, grace frees you from an either or paradigm. That's the both. And that's the order of grace. That's why the hierarchy is non-competitive like God. And, and so then there's that abundance and it sets everybody free. Mm-hmm. We solved it. That's the grace. That's what he says in the speech. Grace is infinite. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the thing that unfolds itself throughout the meal. Yeah. I'm confirming he says that. He does. I'm kidding. He does. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I spaced on that. I thought you were summing up what we were saying, not asking what we thought of it. This is authentic. I don't sum things up, okay? <laughs> Just to land the plane. You you do the summations. Yeah, right? you you're our summation guy. Okay. Yeah, you're good yeah, at I think it. You just summed it. This I, is that was a pretty good summation. I as good as it is in the movie, I still like I think I like the book even better. In our human foolishness and short sightedness, we imagine that grace is finite. But the moment comes when our eyes are opened and we realize that grace is infinite. Mm-hmm. Grace, my friends, demands nothing of us, but that we shall await it with confidence and acknowledge it in gratitude. Grace takes us all to its bosom and proclaims general amnesty. Amen. Let's end with that. All right. 
follow Free Dogs North on Instagram. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.